0: thankful for a God who loved you so much that he gave his son in your place. Come on, put your hands together. Give the Lord praise. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We say happy Mother's Day to you. We're thrilled that you're here. If this is your first time, we welcome you this morning to Victory Church. My name is Michael, I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. We certainly hope that you will take this opportunity to Uh, meet some new friends and to enjoy what a great time in worship in the presence of the Lord with our team. Give our team another hand this morning if you would. So very thankful for them. I want to thank the first service folk because they really endured me having to get over a first this morning. I didn't even come to Mother's Day service last year for obvious reasons. And uh, so today is my first Mother's Day back since dawn passed. And uh, I, I struggled significantly in the first service, but I'm stronger now. And so if you see first service folks, thank them because they endured. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful today to, to be here and to, to be filled with God's joy and his goodness and his love and his grace and his mercy. Uh, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be alive. How many of you also would say, so will I? That's true for all of us. Amen. We um, have been doing a series called Higher Power on the gifts of the Holy Spirit We did one called higher love on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Easter we did the day the revolution began, and then we began higher power on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We talk about the fruit listed in Galatians 5. We talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, nine fruits, nine gifts. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit are the character of God. The gifts of the Spirit are the charisma or the power of God. One is His nature. The other is his power, and we don't need to emphasize one over the other or say we take one and we ignore the other. We desperately need both. Charisma will get the attention of people or of the world, but character will keep that attention, and we recognize that gifts are in part, and when perfection comes, when Jesus returns, and we know as we are fully known, then we know that everything that is in part will pass away, and so we recognize that in the end, when all of these in-part things of gifts are passed, we'll always have the eternal, everlasting fruit. The love, God is love. Power is an expression of His love, and it comes out of that motivation. Nowhere did Jesus say, by their power demonstrations will you know that they are my disciples. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. So this morning, we... We operate out of a love motivation, but we thank God for the pneumaticos, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are present and for the church today as power tools primarily to be a witness, to be able to evangelize, to be able to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is central. Somebody say amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 14, I want to jump right in. I'm not going to take a long time to review. Uh, I know you want to go to lunch with your moms today. And we've got three baptisms at the end of this service this morning that we're very excited about, uh, and so it's just a wonderful day here at Victory. Uh, if you're a guest today, hope you'll come back and be with us again. This is a great snapshot of some of the wonderful things that are happening at our spiritual family. By the way, just let me just, let me just jump back and tell you this real quick. I got called by Flintco, which is building our new facility out there at College Boulevard on Angels Way, and uh, they said we need to have a financial meeting. And we set it for two days later. I'll just be honest with you. I sweated bullets for two days, and I prayed. I said, God, I don't need any curveballs. Just help me, Lord. I don't don't want any bad news. Because, you know, when somebody says, we need to have a financial meeting, you're thinking that something's going over. And so they sat me down at the table, and they said, the soil out here on this property is so amazing. It is so good that we're not going to have to put CTB, some kind of concrete treated whatever something under the asphalt parking lot. We're going to use what's called soil cement because according to our engineers that did core samples all over the property this soil is some of the most stable soil in Crittenden County and because of that they took the CTB out and are doing soil cement which by the way there's one little spot down here in West Memphis that has that same and it happens to be right where the hospital is. They're doing soil cement out there That saved us one hundred and one thousand five hundred and sixty-two dollars. We made a change from our brick to stone and so it really kind of gives us a little bit more of a uh, rustic sort of vibe to the thing and that was an extra twenty-five thousand. But we still are netting where we've got money in a new owner contingency account that if they don't have to spend it then we'll get that back when they've completed the project. So I have good news today and they're two weeks ahead of time. Uh, they'll pour one pour. They'll do one pour on the slab next week on May the 17th. It'll cure for seven days, and then the the steel and the metal for the new building is supposed to be arriving. It was not going to be here till the first full week of June, but now they're saying it's coming in May 24th, and they're going to start erection that day. So somebody give God praise. We're two weeks ahead of schedule. All right. So great news. You know when you have a we have a financial meeting called and they said, hey, listen, you're 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 coming under budget. That's that's the, that's the one thing you do want to come under. That's for sure. So, the text this morning is found in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1. Stay seated, but read out loud with me, please. Here we go. A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Read it one more time. A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down. With her hands. The title of my message this morning is called "Miracles." I'm sorry, "Mamas' Miracles and Faith." We've already done the knowing gifts, the speaking gifts. There are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Three knowing: this word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. The three speaking: languages, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Okay, and then there are three doing: faith, miracles, and gifts (plural) of healings (plural). So today. I'm going to do all I can, and quickly, everybody say, I've got faith, I know you want to take mama out, and you want to beat, you want to beat the Baptist to the buffet, uh, we'll, do the, we'll do the best we can, and we don't mean that disparagingly, it's just a joke, so, if that's your heritage, praise God, I love you, amen, when you, if you stay today, you'll find out I preach grace like a Baptist, hallelujah, so, um, A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Mama's miracles and faith. These three gift groupings knowing gifts, speaking gifts, doing gifts interestingly deal with the three areas where we battle thought, word, and deed. Know is in our thoughts, speaking gifts deal with our words and then doing obviously deals with our deeds. Jesus has given us power tools to be able to to defeat the enemy in the areas where he tempts us, where he deceives us, where he accuses us, in order to be able to not just learn how to do something for a Sunday morning or whenever you have a service, to go through charismatic motions or emotions, but to learn how to just listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit Monday through Saturday, Too many times we trust in a God who says that all things are possible if we believe. And we believe while we're in the service on Sunday. But when it comes Monday morning, we live the rest of the week like practical atheists. We don't stop to pray and say, Lord, what is your will concerning this? Or Father, what direction would you have me to go in? How should I deal with this problem or this circumstance in my job, in my career, the next decision I make, the next move that I take? the person that i'm to be in covenant with as a new partner in the business or the choice that i make to get married or any number of really critical life changing decisions that you make oftentimes we just run headlong into them we make bad choices and then we spend so much time begging god to to bless a bad decision if we would just pray on the front end and Consult the Word, because the Word should have first place, and everybody say final authority. Say it, final authority. After everybody's opinion has been expressed, you should go lastly, you should start first with the Word, ask to see the wisdom that you can glean from those whom you trust, but then, after it's all over with, the voice of the Word should be preeminent. The Word of God should be preeminent in your life. Somebody say amen. A woman, a wise woman, builds her home. You, you do this through your thoughts, through your words, through your deeds. Things that I think are going to affect what I say. What I say, if I talk about it long enough, I will be, begin to do what I'm talking about. And so I can choose words that build up or I can choose words that tear down. I can choose words that encourage or I can choose words that suck the life out of people and discourage them. Cour is from the French word heart. And so when I encourage someone, I'm putting heart into them. I'm, I'm injecting something into their spirit to give them a sense of courage and strength. To stare fear in the face. To deal with doubt as it comes along and begins to challenge them in choices and decisions they're making. So I want to be a man of words that build up and not tear down. We're here to honor mamas today, and we're going to talk about miracles, and we're going to talk about faith a little bit, and we're going to look at a scripture concerning three different biblical women, three different biblical mamas that I think are critical in the lives of believers that we should look to as examples, and I'm going to talk about three important women in my life. Before we do, one thing that I want to bring to you this morning is this. Mamas are first impression influencers who show us the goodness of God's nature to see what others don't to trust when others won't and live when others can't. Read it out loud this morning with me, please. Mamas are first impression influencers who show us the goodness of God's nature to see what others don't, to trust when others won't, and live what others can't. Did you hear that today? I want you to look where it says God's nature, and I want you to see those three phrases that are there Start right there. The goodness of God's nature. Say it with me. To see what others don't, to trust when others won't, and to live what others can't. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for Jesus. The the amazing, indescribable gift that you've given to us in him his perfect life, Lord, his, his sacrificial death, his powerful resurrection, his ongoing intercession for us, praying for us right now as he's seated at your right hand. I thank you today for the powerful mamas in my life, for my mom, my grandmothers, for my lovely wife who did an amazing job living a life and demonstrating her love for you, praying for our children. Bless my son in Texas today and my daughter in New York City. Lord, as they both celebrate this day without their mom being on this side, but knowing that she's in your presence. There are people sitting here in this room this morning whose mamas have gone before. Let us celebrate in remembering the good things that they have done for us. They're those whose moms are still alive. Lord, let us take advantage of this opportunity and love and honor them and bless them. And Lord, maybe even there's the possibility of someone in this room this morning whose mom does not know Jesus, but their child does now. And now he or she has the privilege of being the example and sharing the words that could change mama's life. Jesus, lead us, guide us, guard us. We'll be careful to honor you. I desperately need you. I need your strength. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Be ears in the hearts of your people. Give us understanding and perception. In Jesus' name I pray. We'll be careful to give you the glory and the praise and all of God's people said. Mamas are first impression influencers who show us the goodness of God's nature to see what others don't, to trust when others won't, and live what others can't. I'm grateful this morning as I open this message and talk to you about Moses' mama. And I, I called her mama on purpose. It's a little less formal than mother. Mother would probably sound a little bit more homiletically correct, sermony, a little bit more Sunday morning message. Put on the tie, stand behind the pulpit. You know that we're, not, we're a little bit more casual here at Victory and we do that on purpose. And uh, I think probably in the South, probably most of you grew up calling her mama or maybe mom, or maybe you called her mother, I don't know, but it was mama in my house. And so when I'm looking at these three powerful ladies, I want to start this morning with one that I think uh, has an amazing story. And you'll see why I've built these three phrases in terms of moms being first impression influencers. We, We are acquainted with and introduced to the world through our mom's eyes first. Mom has the ability to look into the heart and the life of a child, and to see things that other people don't. And, you know, I, my mom uh, grew up many times, or I grew up listening to some of the old colloquial expressions of uh, of a southern mom. I heard her say one time that every crow thinks hers is the blackest. <laughs> and You know, what that means is that every mama in nature looks at their babies and thinks they're the prettiest and the best. And aren't you thankful for a mama who sees that in you? Aren't you thankful for a mom who has taking the time to tell you how much she loves you and cares for you and calls out of you something bigger than and better than that even you think you could do yourself. Sees beyond your limitations. Sees outside things that you don't even understand yet. A a destiny that's on your life long before you could ever even say the word destiny. She knew that the hand of the Lord was on your life. I'm thankful that mine did. Moses' mama is talked about in Exodus chapter 2. Moses writes the first five books of the Bible and so he's the author of this story and interestingly he starts Exodus 2 and he says about this time a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Their names aren't given here but later on in the book in Exodus 6 verse 20 he tells about the Levite man named Amram and his wife Jochebed. And so these are the parents of Moses that we're learning about. The mama's name is Jochebed. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw. Say the word with me. Saw. She saw that he was a what? A special baby. And she did something. What did she do? She kept him hidden for three months. Now let me just stop and give you a little bit of history here. Because you, you need to remember that at this particular time. that Thank you Lord for a top on that. At this particular time in history. Pharaoh who was the leader of the most powerful kingdom historically on the planet in northern Africa, the kingdom of Egypt, Um, had come several generations from the time that God had raised up a young Hebrew by the name of Joseph. Joseph was gifted with wisdom after having been accused wrongly and been in jail for 13 years for a crime he didn't commit. Accused of... uh, reaching out to uh, take advantage sexually of the wife of Potiphar and he didn't do any such thing. Fled, his garment was left, and Potiphar's wife accused him of a crime he didn't commit. And He went, didn't pass go, didn't collect $200, went straight to jail. Joseph endured 13 years of prison, he interpreted a couple of dreams, and finally one day, you remember the Joseph story, he comes out of prison, he's set free, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he leads Egypt in a time of investment and saving grain because a famine is coming. And then when the famine came, he was able to unlock the storehouses and provide food for the known world around the Mediterranean basin. And Egypt grew in its power. Pharaoh grew in his governmental authority, buying up the land in exchange for food, literally buying the people themselves, and they became slaves to Pharaoh. In the midst of their oppression, they grew and multiplied like rabbits. As a matter of fact, 400 years pass, Four biblical generations, four 100-year periods pass, And the new Pharaoh that's in leadership on the throne of Egypt has forgotten the connection that the Hebrew leader Joseph had had to the Pharaoh at that time. And the Hebrews, these shepherd herders, have grown into disfavor. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh issues a governmental decree, signs it into law and declares that every male Hebrew child that's born is supposed supposed to be thrown into the River Nile. The River Nile was the seat of the panoply of the gods that Egypt worshipped. The panoply is all of the multiple uh, polytheistic godheads that Egypt worshipped. They worshipped everything that came up out of the Nile. They worshipped the god of the crocodile. And interestingly enough, without chasing the rabbit, when God later sends this baby that mama sees him as a special child back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, God sends with him the power to produce ten plagues. And out of the very life-giving source of the Nile River, that, had, that riverbed had raised up a civilization that was the most powerful in history, God caused the very things those people worshipped. He kicked them right in their gods. So he sends as a plague everything they're worshipping to become a means of destruction into their lives. Interestingly enough, as we sort of flash back for a moment in history... Moses hasn't grown up. He's not been trained in the University of Egypt. He's not been to visit the backside of the desert for 40 years yet to be trained in the God's school of the wilderness for 40 years. But he's just been born. And a mama has seen that she has a special baby. King James says, a proper child in Hebrews 11. Another translation says, a fine child. Everybody, all the mamas, everybody say, all the mamas, I want you to say, fine child. Come on, ladies, say it. You know when you got a fine child. Mm, he's fine. She's fine. I'm having to edit. I'm hey, Richie, you so fine. you so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Richie. If you only knew the parade that I have up here that I've got to edit all the time. He's a fine child, good-looking baby. So, you know, every crow thinks hers is the blackest. But there was something really special about this baby. And so she took every effort that she could to be able to protect this child because Pharaoh had issued abortion on demand. He wasn't just offering it governmentally serviced and paid for, but he was demanding that every boy baby be killed. Same thing happened when God raised up another deliverer whose name is Jesus. Without getting political this morning, I think that's the very same spirit of the age that has been happening since 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed. Because I think the gods of this age, Satan and all of his minions, are terrified that God would raise up a generation of young people that would be on fire for God and see the world shaken for the kingdom of God. And so because of that, we've seen 60 million babies be aborted in the last generation. She saw the baby was a fine child she could no longer hide him so verse 3 she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch she put the baby in the basket laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River now listen to this this is just phenomenal she got an idea that the very thing that was killing all of the other Hebrew boy babies would actually become a haven of protection for hers if she put him in this new idea that she had. She came up with an idea to create a little miniature arc of safety. A basket. And she found something that the Hebrews used called pitch, and like tar. And she covers this thing and completely waterproofs it, takes it down there to make sure that it was, wouldn't be sub, submersed into the water, that it would have flowed on the water. And, and, and she sends Moses' older sister, Miriam, whose name is not given right here in this particular text. But as we look a little bit further in the next verse, it says, The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down the bay to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister, Miriam, uh, approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? This is just brilliant. I love how this happens. Look at this. She asked, and so Neferterius, she says, yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Now think about this story. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So Jochebed comes up with an idea to insulate her child from the very element that's killing all the other babies. This baby is buoyed up by this river of destruction where death is stinking around it because boy babies are dying. She she literally... In in a kind of civil disobedience, she obeys Pharaoh by throwing her child into the river, but her child has some protection around it. It's been insulated with an ark. How many of you know Jesus is the ark and you better get in? And she sends Miriam along with the child and the princess says, yes, I want you to go and find a Hebrew woman. Now, the princess of Egypt didn't know that this was the baby's older sister and she was going to actually take the baby back to its own mama. So Jochebed gets to nurse her own baby and is going to get paid for it while she's doing It Isn't it, it, it God amazing? And so she's got her baby back at home. She's nursing the baby. And she says, take this baby, nurse him for me. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Last verse, later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Drawn out of the water, Moses is what the, the word means. And so we, we know the story. If you've seen Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, I don't think anybody, I don't know that that could ever be redone and be as good. That's just, just set the standard. And Moses literally goes back to Egypt in defiance of the decree of Pharaoh and God raises up a deliverer in the face of the fear of Pharaoh and he raises him and educates him right under his own feet. Don't tell me God can't figure out a way to destroy the enemies working in your life. If you'll just be like a mama who can see what others don't see and and, and will learn to trust when others won't trust and will live in a way that others don't know how to live. They can't live because they've never seen what God is wanting to show you. I have a quote here that's so great. This is from Jonathan Swift, the 1600s travel writer. He says, vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Because there are things that are all around us that unless you have the ability or the mechanism or the equipment or the technology, there are things that are happening in this room right now that if you're not looking, you will miss them. There are things that are happening in the life of your children that if you're not paying attention, they will get past you. You'll blink twice and they're not toddlers in in preschool. They've graduated the sixth grade and... They've walked across the stage, made the top 10% of their class and they're headed off to college and the first thing you know they're married and you've got grandbabies and you have blinked twice and you said, how did that happen? Pay attention. Be perceptive, moms especially. God has given you the ability to see things that others won't see. Swift says, vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. It is when we can see with the eyes of the Spirit and peer into the lives of those who have desires that have yet been unmet and have a destiny that is yet to be unfolded. Mamas have the ability to look into the lives of their children and say, You're a special baby. You're a proper child. You're a fine son. You're an amazing daughter. The hand of the Lord is on your life. You're going to be a person of destiny. Mamas, you can build your houses with words that encourage or you can tear them down with your own hands and the words that you speak. Your tongue has the ability to speak life or death. A wise woman will build her house. A foolish one will tear it down with her own hands. Moses' mama had the ability to see something that others didn't see. It was invisible to them. And because she feared God... She honored God. She reverenced the Lord more than she did the word of Pharaoh. Then she built an ark that would protect Moses and keep him safe until such time that he would literally be raised under the feet of Pharaoh himself. Too many times parents try the best they can to isolate their children from evil in the world and they just basically block them off and wall them off from culture. And I want to tell you that's not the answer, because if you don't ever teach them about evil that is out there in the world, when you release them and let them go, they will go bonkers crazy. Moses' mother didn't isolate her children from the world, she insulated her children from the world, and she... She talked to them about the evil that was out there and God has called every one of you mamas in the room to build an ark of safety around your children and pray prayers of intercession over your babies and believe in them and speak words of life. Let me tell you, they're going to get all they can of negativity. As soon as they walk off the bus, as soon as they get out of your car and go into the first day of preschool, children have a, a cruel way of just tantalizing and taunting and, and, and sometimes things start and they go out through the lives of children mamas thank God for your love who have the ability to see things that others don't see and you keep building into them and you keep encouraging them and keep strengthening them and get on your knees and pray for them thank God because you have the ability to invest in them the way no one else does you can see things sometimes that even dad can't see and thank God for dads we'll celebrate you in next month but this month is mama's day too many times there've been some mamas, the little granny who raised her grandson because her daughter was wayward. The son had made some bad choices and went and appeared before the judge, and in tearful words fell on the mercy of the court and pleaded for a second chance for her grandson and said my, my, my grandson is a good boy he's, he's gotten in with the wrong crowd and if you'll give him one more chance judge if you'll just put him, entrust him to my care I promise you I'm going to be fully involved in his life and we're going to see that he gets turned around and too many times a judge would entrust to a sweet little frail mama or a grandmama because she was pleading and interceding for a wayward son or daughter I'm thankful for a mama who prayed for me I grew up from a young age knowing that the hand of the Lord was on my life and raised in a family with grandparents who prayed and raised my mom and Aunt Lucille to pray and seek the face of the Lord and I'm truly grateful for that. But there was a season in my life after being hurt, I traveled with the ministry, started as a young teenager and 13, 14, 15, saw some things out there in the ministry that, I, that a 13-year-old, 14, 15-year-old boy shouldn't see and just saw the corruption and just the, 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 the nonsense sometimes that's done in the name of Christ and I got angry I got mad to put my Bible on the shelf and I tried to learn how to cuss I tried to get drunk with some friends I went and bought some Mad Dog 2020 one time and tried, to, that's the worst drunk you can have, I'm going to tell you bad cheap wine I'm not trying to be silly this morning, I tried to smoke some dope a couple of times and it, it didn't do anything for me, it just made me hungry and the last thing I needed to do was eat more I hope y'all are laughing with me and not at me. (laughs) It's okay if you are. The Lord knows your heart. (laughs) I'm teasing. (laughs) I got to laugh a little bit this morning. It's been a rough morning for me. I'm thankful that during that time my mama did never got pharisaical with me. She didn't point a legalistic finger at me. She didn't just nag me and say, you better be in church. But I walked in the house one day and she didn't know that I was home and the bedroom door was closed. And I walked up to the bedroom door and it was just barely cracked. And I looked in there and I saw my mom on her knees and she was crying tears. And she said, God, restore Michael. Restore him, Lord! She was She was moaning and crying out. And oh, it broke conviction to my heart. And hearing my mama's prayers, hearing her pray for me did something for me that, that somebody dressing me down or talking to me hard would have never done for me. So many times folk get all churchy with you and they get legalistic and the last thing, you, you end up driving people away. Why don't you just spend the energy in praying for them and loving them? Now there are times when folk need a good talking to and you, you, know, we, you need to do that. Don't back up from doing that. But don't let that be all you ever do all the time. Spend at least as much time on your face and on the knees talking to God as much as you do talking down to somebody else trying to bring correction and adjustment in their life. And I'm thankful that I'm here today because of my mama's prayers. I'm thankful that she saw something. She saw something special on my life. And vision is the art of seeing what others don't see. And so so this morning I want you to remember that mamas are first impression influencers. To show us the goodness of God's nature. To see what others don't. To trust when others won't. And to live what others can't. Point number two this morning is Samuel's mama. Samuel's a prophet of God who has the privilege of ruling in a time of the prophets after the judges. And he has the privilege of laying hands on the first king of Israel. When they demanded a king like the other nations. and Samuel begged them not to. And they got Saul. And Saul was a big flop. And then he later... Laid hands on David and anointed David's great king, or Saul's, uh, I'm sorry, Israel's great king, David. The story is here, and I've got a few verses I want to grab real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Let's look at the screen. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of, of Ephraim. Number two. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Everybody say, the trouble starts. I can't imagine why anybody would want to think they want to have two wives. (laughs) I'm so glad we don't live in that culture today. Somebody must be outside their mind to think they're going to have two wives and make it work. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Now here's where it starts to get interesting. Penina means pearl, Hannah means grace. Grace doesn't look too fruitful right now, but just hang on. Because Hannah is going to endure some stuff. And it's going to drive her to do something. Let's jump into the story. Verse 6 says, So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. You know, it's one thing to be barren and unfruitful. This morning, hear me, not just from the standpoint of being a mom. And maybe there's some people in the room that are trusting God some families to trust God to get pregnant. Maybe you've tried everything. Maybe you've spent tens of thousands of dollars in in vitro fertilization and done all of it, then you looked into uh, adoption and all of this, and, and, and you just are at a point where you're going, okay, God, is there a way? God, we put our trust in you. This is Hannah's story. Verse seven, year after year it was the same. Panina would taunt, everybody say taunt, would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and want to even eat. Real quick story, I'm not going to take time to read, but just basically to say they would visit the tabernacle at Shiloh and the tabernacle of God, the tabernacle of Moses that housed the place where the glory of God was was sitting in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. I'm not going to take time to open up any of that, but every time the cloud of God that was over it would move, the children of Israel would move camp so by this time, they're well into the land. They've got it set up at Shiloh, high place of Gibeon. And they would visit it every year and bring sacrifices. And at this time of what should be a great big party and a wonderful festival and a great time of celebration, Penina is a mean girl. How many of you have ever been mean girl in your life? Now, sometimes it isn't just a female that's doing it. How many of you guys, how many old guys can get a mean girl spirit on them? You know, it's one thing to kind of just, you know, just joke around, because that's kind of how guys show affection, you know, kind of checking on each other, and, oh, your mama sold this, whatever, that, or the other. And, you know, <laughs> you get in the locker room, and the guys are just, you know, just, just joking around with each other all the time. And that's just kind of the way they, they say, hey, you're, you're cool, you know, you're, you're, you're in with us. But you can tell when it turns from something that is just having a good time to where it's really, truly cruel. And Hannah was cruel. She was just a slap, mean girl. And she's taunting Hannah to the point that every time they go that Hannah's reduced to tears and she's crying. And so she finally gets it fed up. She gets a can full one day and she pushes back from the table and she heads out to the tabernacle and she goes into a place to pray, to the tent of meeting to pray. And Eli is the old priest. The Bible says he had waxed fat and his eyes had grown dim. And I think so many times that's the status of ministry in America doesn't have anything to do with chronological age, but they just have lost sight. They have no discerning of the Spirit, don't have the ability to be able to acknowledge. And she's in there, and she's crying out to God. She's silent, but her lips are moving, and Eli thinks she's drunk. And he says, take your wine and get out of here. She says, oh, no, sir, I've had no strong drink. I've, I've not done that. I, I, I'm crying out in anguish to the Lord. And she goes on praying, and he says, oh, well, I'm sorry. Now, this is just so sad, because so many times... There are people who don't have the ability to discern between someone's naturally drunk and someone is being moved on by the Spirit. and So he he, he apologizes and he says, may the Lord grant your request. And she says, yes. She responds in agreement with that and gets up. They come back to worship one more day and they get up and go home. And the Bible says that Elkanah slept with his wife Hannah. And she found strength to conceive and God brought her a son and she named him Samuel because the word, the name Samuel means asked of the Lord. But let me go back and make sure that I plug in this vow that she made while she was down there praying in anguish. She made a vow to the Lord. She said, oh God, if you will open my womb and give me a son, I will give him to you all the days of his life and every day of his life will be spent in your presence. He will be a man of God no scissors will ever cut his hair she made a Nazarite vow that he wouldn't partake of uh, wine or anything of grapes, he didn't even eat raisins it was a Nazarite vow to stay away from strong drink and they didn't cut their hair so God gave her her request and Samuel was born and she celebrates and she names him Samuel because the the name Samuel means asked of God she said "I, I, I give him to you, I give you this son before he is ever born I can relate to this story. It's a little bit different. It doesn't exactly flow in line uh, with this. But uh, when I was probably eight or so, I was digging around at my house in some drawers that I probably shouldn't have been. I was in my mom and dad's bedroom, and I found a stack of papers that I thought were interesting looking, and so I start reading through them. And it was my mom's diary, and I didn't know it when I started reading it. And she said, when I found out I was pregnant with Michael, I thought God was trying to kill me. (laughs) Well, she was an older woman to be pregnant in 1960. And uh, actually, my mom and dad had two families. I've got a sister who's 73 and a brother who's 70. I'm 57, and my younger brother Dewey is 54. And so they literally had two sets of kids 14 years apart, and then the two kids on both sides are three years apart. So they had two sets of kids. They had two sets of grandkids. And it really kept my mom and dad young, because they're just you know, kids. and so I got upset about what I read. What do you mean God's trying to kill you? I'm eight years old and I, I take it out to my mom and I showed her. She said, where'd you get that? That's my diary. You shouldn't have been. And then I said, I don't care. I want to know what you meant by this. Why did you think God was trying to kill you? She sat me down at the table, just me and mama, and she said, son, I'm, there ain't nothing I can tell you. Until you're older, you get married, and maybe if your wife has a baby late in life, you'll understand then why, how I felt. But let me tell you this, just want to tell you this, after I got settled to the fact that I was going to have a baby at this late age in my life, and I realized that God had given me a gift, before you were ever born, I told the Lord that I had given you this baby, I said, God, I give you this child, and I thank you that your hands will be on him all the days of his life, and my anger turned to a sense of just being loved, and the fact that mama loved me so much that she said, God's hand is on your life, son, and there's something special about you. When others couldn't see it, she could see it. When I haven't felt like it, I've remembered that. I've remembered my mama's prayers. And I'm here and alive today because my mama's prayed for me. You know what the beautiful thing is? That She's not dead. She's in the presence of the Lord, and she's still praying for me right now. She's interceding for me. She's part of that great cloud of witnesses in the grandstands of heaven that are You've got mamas and grandmamas that are praying for you this morning. That see something in you that you don't even see in yourself. And I thank God that that mamas see what others don't and they trust when others won't. Thank God for, for mamas who are willing to get down on their knees and pray and cry out to God and go and even make a deal with God. God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll give this baby to you. I'm thankful to the Lord for that in my life because God knew that I would need some reassurance at times. I was was about 10 years old and we were part of a church and and it was a a Pentecostal church and we were all gathered around the altar and I was praying and just asking the Lord in my life just to touch me. I was just hungry for the presence of God in my life. And a, a brother who was not an evangelist or a pastor or a great leader traveling in he was just one of the men in the church he just came over and very gently not in any kind of showy way he just said Michael he said the hand of the Lord is on your life and he said the the Lord just gave me this word down in my heart and he said you're a Samuel and he said your words won't fall to the ground your life the hand of the Lord is on your life and I started to cry because I remember what my mom had told me two years before that she had given me to the Lord before I was born because that's Samuel's story now that's just one more example of how God has used the gifts of the spirit that was a word of knowledge and that he spoke that and it brought great encouragement into my life when I've been discouraged I remind myself of those things Hannah cried out to God because she was a first impression influencer to show the goodness of God's nature because she saw what others didn't see and she trusted when others wouldn't finally this are you getting anything out of this? Finally this morning I'm finished and then we're going to baptize these three. I'm excited about this. Really quick, the last one is Timothy. Timothy is a young man who gets saved at a young age and he's highly influenced by the faith of his mama and his grandmama. Paul the apostle takes him under his wing and he entrusts Timothy even as a young man who is really may be too young to do what he's going to do, but he takes the lead pastor role as the, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, which is a mega church. The Spirit of God has been moving. It is in what we know today as modern-day Turkey. Asia Minor and the Spirit of God has been poured out. Holy Ghost is moving. People getting saved. Lives being transformed. Ephesus is a world class city and he sends a young man who has grown up under the nurture and the admonition of the Lord from a mom and a grandmom who loved Jesus. The Bible says in Proverbs 22.6 Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Don't get gender specific here. Who Put he or she, either one in there. Train up a child in the way she should go. And when she is old, she will not depart from it. Mamas, trust God. That is a principle that you can lean into. Nothing is wasted when you take time to read your baby's Bible stories. Nothing is wasted when you take time to, come on children, let's say grace and thank God for this food we're about to eat. Nothing is wasted when you when you have to fight through Not literally, but when you struggle just to get all the kids to sit down and you have family devotions and you tell them how God answered your prayers because you're building into them. You're impressing on their lives how God's met you in difficult seasons and struggles that you made it through because you learned to not trust your own understanding but to lean on the Lord. That's way better than y'all are acting. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Timothy's mama and grandmama. Look at three verses and I'm finished. Paul writes and he says, I remember your genuine faith. Say it. For you what? Share the faith. See, it got passed down. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same, everybody say, same faith. That same faith, say it, continues strong in you. I love that. Some of you are here right now because you've got a praying grandmama. She may be in glory, but she's still praying for you. Verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames. Here it is the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self discipline. What's my quote? And I'm finished this morning. Come on, whoever is going to be baptized first, y'all get ready. Musicians, come on back. Everybody, read this out loud with me. Come on. Your children will follow your example, not your advice. Don't say, do as I say, do, don't do do as I do, because they're going to do what you do. Faith, leadership, a life that learns to trust God, to see what others don't, to trust when others won't, to live how others can't, that's dependent on the example that you live every day in front of your children, in front of your babies. I, I, I can preach measles all day long. But if I've got the mumps and I preach the gospel of measles, guess what you're going to catch when you get around me? You're going to catch mumps because that's what i got. And so when we tell our children, don't do as I do, do as I say, we're doing them a huge disservice because it creates this dissonance between what I'm seeing lived out and what I'm hearing I should be living. It is only by the power and the presence of God and His grace that we can lean into Him. Simple verse that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight under the translation says. So this morning, I'm thankful for mamas. I'm thankful for my sweet dawn. I texted my children this morning through tears and this is what I sent to them. I said, blessings on my children for wonderful memories of an amazing mother today. She is still praying for you. I love you more than air. It was kind of my mantra that I started as a a youngster, saying, I love everybody. Because my mama showed me a picture of me when I was three months old. And she'd taken me to probably one of those JCPenney picture studios, you know. And I'm propped up there on both hands. And I'm about three months old. And I've got a little shirt on that says, I love everybody. And so that became my statement. I leave the house. I, I love everybody. Close the door. And my kids picked up on it. Dawn picked up on it. It just became part of our house. I love everybody. Go get in the car. Start the car. Hit where I'm heading and we just we lavish each other with telling each other all the time how much we love each other. I tell my kids I love you and they say I love you more and then I go, "No, I love you the most." They said, "No, it's not not possible." Somebody says, "Well, that's just cheesy." Well, just go on with your old stingy self. They know their daddy loves them and they know even though they're broken and hurt I'm thankful I tried a couple different counselors right after Dawn died and I just was so, I just sobbed in the presence of a stranger and it just felt so awkward and so weird to be so vulnerable in the presence of somebody I didn't know and I just said I can't do this and so I didn't go and at a friend's recommendation I, I went and saw a counselor this week and about 19 months into it and really, really, really am grateful to see that I'm on a journey where I'm getting some help. and because I was carrying some guilt for some things that I don't need to be carrying guilt for and I'm just thankful for God's hand and his mercy on my life I have no doubt that is in the presence of God When she did what she did she wasn't in her right mind and I'm thankful today that she's praying for me I'm thankful that she's praying for my babies but more than that more than that, more than Dawn's prayers, I'm thankful that there's one who sits at the right end of the Father. The Bible says, whoever lives to make intercession. And he's praying for me. And his name is Jesus. Somebody might say, you know, it's exciting to hear how God moves in people's lives when they get desperate, trusting Him for miracles. But I don't have that kind of faith. And you know what? You may not have the gift of faith that moves mountains, but the Bible says in Romans that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Oh, I don't have any faith. Yeah, you've got faith because you came in and sat down in that chair and you believe that chair would hold you up when you sat down on it. Some of you came into this pathetic building and you've sat down in a room that's being held together by termites holding hands. But oh, I want to tell you, we're about to cross Jordan, folks, and we're going into the promised land. (laughs) You have faith. The issue is this morning is whether or not you've ever put that faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Some of you got mamas who are praying for you in glory right now. They're looking over the grandstands of heaven, and you just... To get somebody off your back. You've dropped into victory this morning to just check out what this crazy church down at that old ugly mall is. And you've heard something in the and some guy, some fat guy on the platform ranting has just kind of been interesting at least you didn't go to sleep in church but something is happening right now there's something moving in your heart the spirit of God is drawing you and there's a pull as one of my friends calls it it's going on in your life and I'm going to tell you what that is that's not my speaking skill, skills that's the spirit of God drawing you to himself saying he, that he loves you Jesus stretched out His hands on the cross and He says, I love you this much. And He died. And He said, it is finished. He paid your debt in full. There's not a thing you and I can do in this room to earn the favor of God or anything called salvation to save me from the fire of hell or to give me a home in heaven. Except to take that measure of faith that He has given every one of us in this room and take it off of myself, off of my ability, off of philosophy, off of science off of luck off of chance and just very simply to take that measure of faith and say Jesus I trust you save me you don't need to know any theology beyond that right there Jesus be my savior as heads are bowed and eyes are closed